Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we spent the last seven months looking at the Ten Commandments. And then today we'll finish the chapter with the follow-up to the Ten Commandments as Moses describes what happened after God spoke the commands audibly from the top of Mount Sinai. So, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, help us to draw near. Show us your glory to the point where we, like your people of old, would want to draw back. But through the mediator, your Son Jesus, help us to draw near, to come and stand in your presence and to hear your invitation to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Teach us to worship you, to draw near in worship, not to stand back in fear. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage before us uh, encapsulates very beautifully the two responses to the law. Now that you've heard what God requires, now that you know the contents of the Ten Commandments, now that you know God's demands, you can run away. That's it. I cannot be near a God with this kind of standard. This God is not the God for me. These standards are not the standards for me. That's the first response. To stand back. To distance yourself from the law and the lawgiver. The second response is to draw near, to come closer, to say, yes, this is the law I want. This is the lawgiver I serve. This does describe the life that ought to be my life. The two responses are encapsulated perfectly in verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near. People stood back. Moses drew near. (coughs) Both responses are in the heart of every one of us. We love the lawgiver. We fear 
the lawgiver. We were made for the Ten Commandments in a certain sense, right? The man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. These laws were made for us. But they are written on our hearts. They are part of our deep original programming. This law strikes us as fundamentally right and just. But at the same time, the fallen element within us hates the law, wants to hide from it. We want to turn away, stand back, flee from the light of the law that exposes how we don't measure up. The law makes us stand back and seek a mediator. The law also makes us draw near in worship. And Moses captures those two things with these two paragraphs. We stand back and say, we have to have a mediator. We draw near in worship. Standing back and requesting the mediator, that's what the people do when they say, Moses, go to God for us. Drawing near in worship is what the Lord describes immediately as he says, here's how to build an altar. Here's how you'll worship me moving forward. Standing back, drawing near, that's what this sermon is about. We stand back, we need the mediator. And when we have a mediator, we draw near in worship. Verse 18 uh, comes immediately after the end of the 10th commandment. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Now all the people witnessed the fearsome presence of God. And God advertised His presence in several unmistakable ways. Thunder, lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. So four major signs that God is present on this mountain in terrifying power. I've told you before how we met someone who said, I traveled through Gillette in the 1980s and it was here that I saw the worst lightning storm I've ever seen My husband and I counted over 80 strokes of lightning in one 60-second period. So we think of Gillette as a place with ferocious thunderstorms. He said, I had never seen a thunderstorm like that here. But you can imagine that if even an ordinary thunderstorm is capable of that kind of violence and fury, imagine what the thunderstorm over Sinai was doing. 80 strokes of lightning in 60 seconds is terrifying, but when you combine that with the incredible noise of the thunder from that much lightning, and when you combine it with the sound of the trumpet of God, what does the trumpet of God sound like? What haunting and eerie note might this trumpet play? Certainly we can understand that the trumpet is sounding a royal fanfare of some kind that makes it clear that God is here. The trumpet is not playing some Looney Tunes type do-do-do-do-do. The trumpet is playing something awe-inspiring that matches with the thunder, the lightning, and the smoking mountain. When we approach electricity, fire, heat, thunder, we naturally are afraid. I remember my father had an incinerator set up for a time when I was a kid. He had an old tub off a hay grinder that he burned scrap wood in. And it was going one day. And I drove by it on the four-wheeler and thought, ooh, this is interesting. And I just walked up and kicked the side of it. 
and my the sole of my shoe melted and left this streak of molten rubber down the side of the incinerator. Right. Needless to say, I drew back. The heat was such that I didn't expect my shoe to melt. This is how God's people feel when they see the mountain smoking. Mountains don't just smoke, especially ones there in the Sinai Desert. There's no forest fire possible. There is nothing on that mountain. It is a giant piece of rock and sand, and it is still smoking. So the people see the fearsome presence of God, and they start shaking, and they back off. Hearing the law is terrifying. Seeing the presence of the lawgiver is perhaps even more terrifying. And they start to beg Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but do not let God speak with us or we will die. If we try to talk to the one on the mountain, we will be killed by his glory. We will be casualties of that energy, that power, that fearsome presence of God that manifests itself in the relentless lightning, thunder, smoke, and royal fanfare of the trumpet blast. Now, if we associate this unhealthy kind of fear of God, this desire to draw back and shrink back with sort of a medieval mindset, God is out to get me, I need to pay for lots of masses to deliver my soul from purgatory, In reaction to that, our culture today certainly has gone far too far the other way. Into the territory of God is my boyfriend. God is not holy and awesome. God doesn't unleash 80 strokes of lightning in 60 seconds. God doesn't obliterate mountains. God is a vending machine to meet my felt needs. God is... Right, Jordan Peterson's psychologized definition of God. God is that which calls and that which responds and the eternal call to adventure. No, that's not, that's not what God is, but that is a symptom of where our culture is, that kind of definition. That we are so far from this Sinai thing, so far from the unhealthy fear of God, that what we have is the unhealthy familiarity with God. That familiarity which literally breeds contempt. And that's how most people feel about the Almighty. With disrespectful names like the big guy, or the man upstairs. Or the only time you hear them mention Jesus, or Lord, or God, is as an exclamation, a curse word. That is not how we should perceive God. God's people, when they saw the Sinai event, said, God's majesty and power is so great it will kill us unless we have a mediator. Moses, we name you. We tap you. Get up there. Tell us what God wants from us. We are not able to listen to him in person. And Moses accepts. Right? He, he seems to think that this is right. Moses doesn't say, I accept, but clearly the rest of the book makes it obvious that he agreed to be the mediator. 
that he goes into the presence of God and then tells the people what God says. In fact, he starts doing it right away. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you. And this, again, encapsulates that dynamic of standing back versus drawing near. Moses describes it here in terms of fear and do not fear. Which is it, Moses? Is it right to stand back or is it right to draw near? Is it right to fear or is it right to not fear? Because the text says both. They wanted to stand back and that was right because God was going to kill them with his majesty. But they needed to draw near because that's their identity, the people of God who walk in the presence of God. They need to not fear. Right? They need to come close, Moses says. Do not fear. But they also need to, to stand back because God has come that his fear may be before you. The answer to these questions, the solution, is in the person of the mediator. The one who goes to God on your behalf. The one who does not fear God wrongly, but who does fear God rightly. And the one who essentially shows us then what kind of fear we should have and what kind of drawing near we should have. Moses is saying no more slavish fear, no more just pure physical terror of death. That is not appropriate in a relationship with God. We don't need to return to that sort of medieval Catholic mindset of God is going to kill me and I am physically shaken at the very thought. But we do need that healthy reverence and awe for God, the filial fear, the fear of the son who honors his father. I was reading this week about Gregory of Nazianzus for our reading Uh, for our book club, Gregory described his father. He said, My father was an old man, an honorable man, in every way a second patriarch, Abraham. Well, that's pretty high praise. I think a lot of us feel that we respect our dads a lot, but who among us would dare to say, My dad is a second Abraham. That's filial fear. That is the respect and awe and honor of a son looking at his father and saying, my dad is right up there with Abraham. That's what Moses means when he says, God has come that his fear may be before you. You and I need to live in awe of God like that to say, God is not just as great as Abraham, God is greater than Abraham. And even though I know him well, I still respect him with certainly a respect that borders on awe or even open fear. I don't fear him as though he were a raging lion or a buzzing rattlesnake. It's not that kind of physical terror. It is a spiritual honor. He's not safe, but he's good. right? He's not safe, so fear him. But he is good, so don't fear that he will do anything evil. That's the dynamic here. Again, the perfect example is Jesus, the Son of God, the true mediator, the one who has the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and 
the fear of the Lord, whose delight is in the fear of the Lord. Jesus delights to fear his Father. But he also delights to draw near to his Father and come into his presence. And in that, he sets the example for us. That's what is going on here in kind of an inchoate way, in a beginning way, as Moses is sent into the presence of God as the mediator. The people say, we do need to hear from God. We want to hear from God. But we want you, Moses, to bring us his words. We can't bear to hear from him in person. Do you have this understanding that you need a mediator in order to come into the presence of God? This is not something that expired with the end of the Old Testament. It's not that in the Old Testament we need a mediator and in the New Testament God is now friendly so we don't need a mediator. Rather, in the New Testament we have the perfect mediator. And so that's why it can seem as though entering the presence of God is no big deal. We have the perfect mediator who is doing this perfectly without the blazing mountain, the fire, the lightning, the trumpet of God. Jesus goes into the Father's presence for us. He goes into the Father's presence with us. But nonetheless, it's still the Father's presence and it's the same God who made Sinai to smoke. So don't be afraid of God's presence with that medieval kind of fear or that physical kind of fear. But at the same time, honor God. And Moses describes how the presence of God will test you with regard to two questions. Do you fear God? And if you come into the presence of God, He will test you. You have heard the requirements of the law. You know you don't measure up. What do you do with that information? Do you shut down? Run away? Hide? I don't care to hear the law anymore. I'm done. Or do you repent and embrace the law and say whatever this law demands of me I'm in it for the long haul I want to do what the law says that's the test do you fear God are you interested in obeying him as my grandfather used to say the fear of God means you're afraid to sin not that you're afraid of God but you're afraid of sin You don't want to displease Him. Do you fear Him? Or will you continue to sin? The law has a bad effect on us, if I can put it that way. Let me me say it like this. No one likes to drive all the way to right with a cop right behind him. No one. It doesn't matter whether you keep the speed limit or not. It doesn't matter whether you are an extremely conscientious driver who obeys all the traffic laws or not. By the time you get to about mile 25 on that 40 mile road, you say, how do I get rid of this guy? That is the effect that the law has on us. When God confronts you with his fearsome presence, right? a Campbell County Sheriff's deputy is a little tiny echo of the fearsome presence of God as judge and ruler and king. 
And the presence of God tests you as to whether you fear him and whether you will obey him. And Moses says, yeah, God came and he spoke to you from Sinai and he wants to know. Are you going to run and hide from the law? Or will you draw near the one who gave the law? It's a live question. That is the dynamic at work here. Will you stand back? God's presence, God's law are a test. Will you fall back? Or will you draw near? Will you hide from the exposure that the law produces? That the lawgiver produces? Or will you embrace that exposure? That's the hard part about coming to church. I can come to church and smile, but God forbid that anyone know about my sin. That anyone see me fail to measure up. That anyone watch me do something wrong or hear me recount that I did something wrong, right? We all have sins. We all say, I'm a sinner. But we have no actual sins or specific sins that we want to talk about. The law exposes those things. God came to Sinai to administer this test. Will you fear me? Will you continue to sin? But the good news is that you have a mediator. Jesus goes to God for you. Moses goes to God for the people here in our text. He's the one who can endure the majesty and energy and purity of the fire, which is Yahweh. He can draw near and still live. And in Christ we have the perfect mediator who draws near and still lives. The only one who makes it possible for us to say, yes, I am willing to have my sin exposed by the law. Because I know that God is on my side and I know that through Jesus Christ, the mediator. That's what the Christian life is all about. And so God immediately moves to drawing near. To say, if you have a mediator, you will do this. Then the Lord said to Moses, here's how to build an altar for worship and come into my presence. Or if you're just reading along this Regulation on the altar seems really weird. What is that doing here? But it makes perfect sense when you think about what an altar is for. An altar is for worship. An altar is a place where you meet God. God says it. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you. In verse 24. Right? What did he do at Sinai? He came and he spoke to them. The whole idea of the altar law is to say, I will continue to come to you. I will draw near to you at an altar that you build. And because you have a mediator, you will want this. You will want to draw near to your God. So Moses, well, God speaks to Moses and gives this provision for the people to draw near. You have a mediator, you will come into my presence. The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Now that's a callback. Turn back to chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. God almost repeats himself from before the giving of the law. 19.3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, 
Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen. It's almost exactly the same. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen. What did the people see in verse in chapter 19? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now in chapter 20, it's you have seen that I talked with you from heaven. And God draws the same conclusion from both of these things that they saw. You saw the Exodus, be my people. You saw the Exodus, or you saw the law giving, be my people. Don't have other gods. Don't make gods of silver or gods of gold. And again in 19, obey my voice and keep my covenant. Be a special treasure to me above all people. Be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This altar law is an almost literal follow-up to the kingdom of priests thing because what do priests do? Priests offer sacrifices. Why would the children of Israel need to build altars? So that they could offer sacrifices, which is what God says. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings, peace offerings, sheep, and oxen. Right? God is going to make a way to come into his presence through the professional Levitical priesthood. We'll start talking about that in chapter 25. But before and behind the professional priesthood stands the priesthood of the believer. The interpreters are unanimous. This altar is not about professional priests. This is an altar for Joe Israelite to erect. This is a layman's altar. Wherever God comes to you, wherever He causes His name to be known, you can worship Him there. And it is inclusive worship. Not in the sense that no matter what sin issue we're struggling with, you can be there, though that is biblically true if you're repenting. Rather, it's inclusive in the sense that Anybody can afford it. God specifically says, nothing fancy. I want the most basic altar possible. Dirt, if you're going to use rocks, don't cut them, don't chisel them, don't decorate them. I want you to make a pile of dirt. But it doesn't matter how poor you are, you can afford a pile of dirt. You can come into God's presence and worship Him with nothing more than some dirt. And if you want to put stones on it, pick up some rocks and put them on it too. Don't chisel it. Don't decorate it. There is no fancier than thou going on. There's no big pedestal. No steps going up to it. Don't elevate this thing. Don't make it giant. It is a pile of dirt. Because anyone can come into God's presence and worship thanks to the mediator. It's almost as though the whole Levitical system is an obviously temporary overlay on a more basic reality that through sacrifice, any and every believer is a priest who has access to the presence of God. That's the drawing near. You can come and worship. You don't need a professional priest. You don't need a tabernacle. You don't need fancy clothes. You don't need a fancy altar. Pile up some dirt. Offer a sacrifice. You have a mediator. You can come into God's presence. So, though the people drew back from the thunder of Sinai, through the mediator, God addresses them that the expectation that they will draw near 
in worship. Yes, you drew back, but you are going to draw near because you have a mediator. Now this thing, don't use steps, so you show your nakedness. They wore, they all wore robes in those days, and if you're climbing steps, uh, you can flash something. God says, no officiating in the nude. I don't want you like pagans who do that. Wear your street clothes. Keep your altar low. Beyond that, you can come into the presence of God. Why are you at church this morning? Because you want to draw near. That's why we're here. Recognizing the glory and majesty of God is enough to make you stand back until you remember that the mediator is there. And that through Christ we have access to the Father. If you're God's child, you can come near. We don't have to bring our own sacrifice either. They had to bring a bull or a sheep. God says, I'll provide the sacrifice. And He did in the New Testament. We don't have to all come to church every Sunday leading a sheep so we can get into the presence of God through the death of this sheep. The true Lamb of God has already died. So when you hear God's law, know this. It makes you want to stand back, but rightly applied, rightly heard, as coming to you through the mediator, it is a signal to draw near. Don't hesitate. Come to Jesus. He is yours. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would indeed impress on us your majesty and your glory, but also that you would impress on us that through the mediator we have access into your presence. Through him, through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Lord, help us to know that, to believe that, to understand that, to know that even in the Old Covenant, Under the Levitical system, anyone could build an altar and worship you and come into your presence through the mediator. Father, we praise you that we can do the same. And we don't even have to build the altar and offer the sacrifice because you already did that. You accepted the perfect once for all sacrifice of your son. So help us to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because you have faithfully provided a mediator and a sacrifice by whom we can come into your presence and be your people. Father, we've seen what you did in the Exodus. We've seen what you did in saying the law from the top of Sinai. Now, help us to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation a special treasure to you above all peoples because all the earth is yours. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Mediator, the great shepherd of the sheep, the true Lamb of God. Amen.